0: If you did your reading this week, the book started with a story about the battle of the sexes, the famous tennis match between 55-year-old Bobby Riggs and 29-year-old Billie Jean King. I am old enough to remember that match, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, it was a very big deal. It was all you talked about. We talked about it on the school bus, we talked about it at school, my whole family, we all sat down to watch it. My uh, classmates and I were really uh, too young to know anything about Bobby Riggs and we certainly didn't understand everything that there was to know about Billie Jean King, but it didn't matter. Because if you were a girl, you were rooting for Billie Jean King. And if you were a guy, you were passionately supporting Bobby Riggs. Nobody crossed over gender lines. Nobody crossed over gender lines because to us, this really wasn't about tennis. This was all about who was better. And when Billie Jean King won, she made it official. Girls could do anything that boys could do better. 41 years later, and we are still fighting fighting the battle between the sexes, only now we're doing things a little differently. The younger generation has a different plan for how to handle the um, battle between the sexes. In June of July of 2014, Emma Watson became even more famous when she was appointed to be the UN Women's Goodwill Ambassador. She proclaims to be a feminist passionate about empowering women and promoting gender equality. This past September, she was invited to speak at the UN, and her message was described as game-changing. In it, she started by quoting her path to becoming a feminist, and then she said this, and I want to quote her. She said, but my recent research has shown me that feminism has become an unpopular word. Apparently, I'm among the ranks of women whose expressions are seen as too strong, too aggressive, isolating, anti-men, and unattractive. She then went on to say that in the past, many of the feminist campaigns have come to come across as man-hating, and she wanted to change that. She wanted to help stop the the them versus us mentality that exists in the world. So, as a part of that, as a part of her fight for gender equality, she offered a formal invitation to the men to come alongside and join women in the fight for gender equality. She said that it was beneficial to both genders to have gender equality. So, as a part of that solution, she created, there was created, an organization known as he4she.org. And men are encouraged to go to that website, sign a petition stating that they will uh, support gender equality and not abuse women, and then they're to tweet that they did it to the hashtag heforshe.org, preferably with a picture of themselves holding the hashtag in the picture. Now, according to Huffington Post, the celebrity support has been incredible. If you know anything about Genesis chapter 3, you know that hashtags and petitions are not going to fix the problem between the genders. Today, we are going to talk about the battle between the two genders, how it got started, why it exists, and where do we go from here. How do, is there a biblical remedy to it? So, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3? The last time we were here, we discussed Genesis Chapter 3, the first five verses, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to start with verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I have at the a box on the top of your paper, an outline of this passage, and sort of an outline of where we're going today. Verses one through five, that was what we studied last time. That talked about the temptation and how, and how the um, serpent worked. Verses six through eight, that's going to talk about the fall. Then verses nine through 13, we're going to see the confrontation. This is where God confronts the sinners. Then lastly, in verses 14 through 19, we're going to talk about the consequences. This morning, we're, we're gonna focus on those bottom three parts. We wanna talk primarily about what happened after they ate, all right? Now, in our last lesson, we talked about, um, we talked about what life was like in the garden. And we primarily went to Genesis chapter two to learn about that. And if you remember, we had a list of six things that we said were taking place in the garden you had kinship, you had commitment, unity, communion, authenticity, and purity. We said that those were the words describing their relationship, those were the words that were describing the harmony that existed between the man and the woman and between um, God, the, what they were experiencing between God. Now you come to this chapter, and we see where they eat the fruit. And the minute they bite into the fruit, all of those things come to a crashing stop. Kinship and commitment are gone. What's the first thing you see the husband do to the woman? He throws her under the bus. He's basically saying listen, if somebody has to die for this, it should be her. Take her. In fact, if you would have given me a woman that could be a decent helper, I wouldn't be in this mess. Unity, gone. Now there's betrayal. Authenticity, gone. Now they're covering themselves. They don't want to be seen by one another. Now sin, the purity is gone. Sin has entered. There's shame. Everything changes at this point. So for... Under your, the fall, the first bullet point there is after they ate, shame, blame, betrayal, depravity, and self-righteousness. Enter the world through the man. Now that will spread to mankind. We see that in Romans 5.12. All right, that's the fall. Then we come to the confrontation. This is in the state of their chaos. We read that god comes looking for them and asks the question where are you now when you are studying the bible and you see god ask a question he never asks because he needs the information okay never we can just automatically assume that's not what's going on here he's asking for another reason and in this case it's to show us the grace This is grace. Timothy Keller, he puts it this way. He said it is describing God searching for man in the wreckage. It's like God enters the bomb site, and he's looking for man. All right, so that's for your next bullet. God enters the wreckage and seeks out man. He's seeking out the sinner. Now this morning we want to take special notice of something. We want to notice how he comes and he directs the question to the man. Even though we know it was the woman that ate first, correct? It was the woman that ate first and gave it to her husband. But why does she ask? Why does he come to the man? Tell me, somebody tell me. He was the head. He was the, head. He was the firstborn he was created to be the the representative he's the man of the house and so god comes to the man of the house now did you notice that the serpent did not do that the serpent goes around the head he is subverting the authority structure that god has put in place do you notice that in this short little passage How often we are being reminded of the order. The order, order, order that God intends for our homes and in our marriages. And when we do not submit, we are subverting God's authority, God's authoritative order, structure, and inviting chaos into our lives. All right, let's move on. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All right, let's stop there. God says that he would put enmity, that means war, he's going to put war between the serpent and the woman and between his seed and her seed now remember up to this point the woman has been on friendly terms with the serpent okay so number one am i on number one yes consequences god inaugurates warfare on behalf of the woman and her seed against satan and his seed. All right, this is why your life, once you become a Christian, is described as a battle. Because God has put hostility, God has put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Thankfully, God has put enmity so that we are no longer friends with the seed of the serpent and the serpent. All right, we're going to come back to this passage, but we're going to uh, continue reading first. Verse 16. can't see what I'm doing. Okay, here we go. Verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken all right verses 14 through 19 these describe the effects of the fall All right, this is a description of what it is going to be like when sin has the upper hand all right this is going to be the problems and the miseries not the model all right this is the fallout this is not instruction now now some of you are hearing me say that and going no kidding but sometimes people do not understand that this is the con- what the context is and then they misinterpret things incorrectly later on. I want to give you an example. If you look at verse 17 where it says, and he shall rule over you. Now there are some that come along and say that the reason that the man is to be the head of the home is because it says so right here. Okay, no, you know that's not right. This is, this is the consequence in the fallout. Our husbands are head of our homes because he was created first and the woman was taken out of him that's established his headship in the garden that's not what this is talking about and we'll we'll see more of this shortly okay but number two on your paper the context of this passage is a description of the misery of our fallen nature and not a mandate for the home or a model for living Now, I want you to notice that the consequences that are given are very gender-specific. The punishments and the judgments coordinate with that original design for the man and woman. So, next point. Number three, the judgments and punishments were gender-specific. You may have read the article about a school district in Lincoln, Nebraska, that is attempting to be more gender inclusive. So all of the teachers were instructed that they were not to use any words like boys and girls or ladies and gentlemen or anything that implied gender. They were to look for neutral words. So for instance, they could call their class, okay, you campers, or okay, let's go readers or they even suggested the term purple penguins. If they needed to divide the classroom, they were to divide it into groups of children that like milk and children that like juice, or children that like skateboards and children that like bikes. Now, they said if that didn't exactly divide the room correctly, they realized they had some bugs to work out. A lot of bugs to work out. (laughs) Newsweek recently had an article about a new gender-neutral pronoun that is taking off. Sweden is using it. It's the word hen. They started using it a couple years ago in a nursery back in 2012, and it's taken off. Now, the article went on to say that 14 major retailers are doing away with the signage in their stores that say boys and girls and are now opting for that gender-neutral pronoun, hen. It's even in um, certain children's books. Now, we saw in Genesis chapter 1 that God created man and woman. He created two distinct genders, and they were to reflect his glory. And then we get to chapter 3, and we see that even in the judgments of God, his commitment to gender distinctiveness is clear we don't ever ever see god supporting gender neutrality gender equality yes a thousand times yes the bible is all about gender equality but gender neutrality is a different thing and you and your kids this is you're going to be fighting this one this is going to be on your doorsteps okay and we do not want to get on that bus Now, let's look at verse 16. Let's talk about what he tells Eve and what women can expect. He says, To the woman, I will surely multiply your pain. We're going to stop there. Pain now enters the world. Pain, we see it in this verse, twice in this verse, and then we see it again in 17 when he's talking to the man. So this is not gender specific. Both genders will experience pain. So, number four, Pain, labor, and sorrow entered the world. If you did your homework, they had a number of uh, different words that are used and translated when we're talking about this word pain. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, we know, let's stop there. We know from our earlier chapters that Adam and Eve were both given the mandate to multiply and fill the Earth. We know that they had different roles to do that. We know that the woman was to be the helper, that she was created to be the softer gender, that she was created to be the nurturer. She's the one that has crooked arms that are made for, for holding babies. She's the one that has hips to make such a good little shelf to stick a baby on. <laughs> She's been given the body parts to give birth and to nurture and carry and carry on on life and what's the judgment well the judgment is you're going to have problems with that number five because of sin the woman's inherent softness and her primary function would be damaged now i want to explain a few things before it sounds like i'm saying that all you're good for is having babies the word childbirth in verse 16 in the hebrew It's an interesting word that's translated many different ways. Sometimes it's used to describe conception. Sometimes it's used to describe pregnancy. Sometimes it's used to describe the actual birth, okay? And here, in this point, it's it's probably pointing to, like, a total picture of motherhood and uh, referring to everything. We can make a very strong case that it's referring to everything from conception on through parenting. So, um, and God is saying, you're going to have pain in that. All right, now, number six. Because of sin, the woman would have pain in all phases of motherhood. Now, you could also put life-giving or nurturing there. Because, as we're going to see, this is going to extend to all women, even single women. You see, all these things were originally to be pain-free. It was supposed to be a joy to get pregnant, and to be pregnant, and to have a child, and to raise a child. And now there's going to be pain and sorrow. Now there's going to be childbirth. Now you're going to have pain in childbirth. Now you're going to have the discomfort of a monthly cycle. Now you're going to have hormonal problems. Now you're going to have infertility. Now you're going to have miscarriages. Now you're going to have heartbreak in raising your child. And do you know, even when your children move out of the house, you you still have worry and heartbreak. In fact, sometimes I think it's worse because now their problems are adult size and you still hurt for them. Now... Obviously, there is tremendous joy in motherhood. There's, by the grace of God, there's, there, is, there is joy in, in raising and parenting. But now it's going to be marred by physical and emotional pain. All right, next, part, next verse. Verse 16. We read, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Okay, those are fighting words. Okay? Next point, number seven. The woman would suffer in her relationships. If you remember when we talked about the woman, we said that she was the relational one. And so once again, we're seeing the punishment. It's lining up with the gender specific and her um, central purposes. Now, the marriage was to be the central relationship. It was to be the building block of society. And now it's going to be affected by the fall. How? Let's look at this. Verse 16 says, your desire shall be for your husband. Now, we've talked about this before. There are some that look at this and say, okay, now women, this is talking about a sexual, a physical desire. Now, women are going to desire their husband in that way. Now, what's wrong with that interpretation? What's wrong? What? Yeah, this is the consequences. This, this, is, this is the misery. All right, I think we could all, we could all agree that most men did, would not consider it misery if their, husband, if their wives were wanting to have sex with them. That's usually cause for celebration. And so, and so we know that that's, that's not right. That's that's. Uh, that's not a correct interpretation. All right, right, let's. Um, the word desire, that's found three times in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the second time it's mentioned to help understand this. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis 4. Turn over a page. We're going to let Scripture um, interpret Scripture. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Here we come. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. All right, there's the words, desire and rule this passage was intended to be an obvious parallel to the one we just read they're just a chapter apart if you were a Hebrew hearing this probably hearing it or possibly reading it for the first time you'd be going hey wait a minute didn't didn't we just read that okay yes and it would help you to understand in this chapter God is telling Cain that sin is crouching like a lion or maybe a serpent and sin's desire is to master or to rule or dominate over you. And, and Cain was to not let that happen. All right, now how do we use that to understand Genesis chapter 3? Let's go back. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. 3.16 says, Your desire shall be for your husband as a result of the sin as a part of the curse, as a part of the misery, your desire now is going to be to dominate and to rule over your husband. You're going to think you know better. You're going to think that you are better. What have you been told all of your lives? That girls are better than men? Smarter? Or that you need to be? In the garden, everything was harmonious. He was to be the initiator. He was to be the leader. And the woman was to be the supporter and the courage encourager. And now, instead, you're going to fight it. Number seven. Because of sin, the woman would desire to rule over her husband and resist his headship. I have been, wait a minute, let me read that again. Because of sin, the woman would desire to rule over her husband and resist his headship. I have been so convicted of this during this study. It's been just hitting me, just hitting me upside the head. God is showing me that I need to be helping and supporting my husband in being the leader and the head of our home. Now, let me tell you, I thought I was doing this. If you would have asked my children growing up who was in charge here at this house, they would probably have told you my dad. They would have probably said their mom was a submissive wife. They, they probably would have said that. So, you know, I've been kind of patting myself on the back for that one. And I've been learning, God has really been showing me that I may have been a little premature. I, this past week... My husband sent me a text asking me to do something and it involved money. You know, a nice little chunk of money. Now, usually, when my husband asks me to do something, I do it. But I do have this routine. I, I bark first. You know, I either send him a text or I send him, I call him up, and I, we have a brief conversation that goes something like this. What? What? Now, what's going on? What are you doing? What, what have you got cooking? What? Now, do you, have you thought this through? Do you realize what's going to happen? Have you, have, are you sure that you want to do this? I'm not so sure what I think about this. You know, it's just a little conversation like that. And, um, and so I, I went to do it. I, I went to text him, and... Um, and I thought, no, this is call worthy. And so I thought, oh, I went to dial him up. <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't answer. And, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, back to texting. And, and, I, uh, and I, was, I started out thinking. I was you know, kind of worked up. And I got thinking, wait a minute. You have been preaching about letting your husband lead and encouraging him to be the head of your home. Hey, here's a thought. (laughs) Why don't you just do what he asks without all the comments and the resistance? Why don't you do what he asks without all the second guessing? Why don't you just do what he asks without treating him like he is some kind of child that has to check in on you? Why don't you just treat him like a man? And trust God. And take your hands off this. And I had this picture in my head at the time of just a tug of war. And I could just sense God saying, you know, why don't you drop the rope and get in line behind your husband? And I was, I I could see how I was getting over this, and I thought to myself, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I spent a lot of energy and frustration and effort tugging on the rope. And so I did. I did what he asked. I didn't fire back any shots. I, and, and you know what? It was like throwing bricks out of my back, case. back my backpack. <laughs> it was very freeing. And ladies, we need to do the same. It's liberating, believe it or not. That's, I think, what I have been seeing. You know, I've been teaching this for a long time. But you know what? Now I can say it because I believe it. I believe it. All right, moving on. Because of the fall, you're going to want to dominate and rule over your husbands. And what's your husband's going to do? Well, what are men going to do? They're going to rule over you anyways. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the man, we said he was the firstborn. We said because of the creation order, he was the head. He was the leader. Now, he was to be a leader like a servant leader. He was to lead like Jesus. He was to be nourishing and cherishing as he led. But now God says, oh, he'll, he'll lead, but he's going to rule over you. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the man? We talked about his, the way he was built. He was bigger. He was stronger. He was given more muscle mass. He was given that so that he could protect and guard the woman, and now he will use that against her. Instead, in a... Uh, In our culture, feminism rules the day. We see a lot of uh, women belittling and emasculating men, but that is not what takes place over much of the world. Much of the world is very opposite, where you see men ruling very heavy-handedly. They're very oppressive of women. They treat them like property. The women have no rights. Things such as pornography, sex trade, domestic abuse, prostitution, molestation, horrific things, that you now see men do to women. You wanna know why it is? It's Genesis chapter three. Okay, number nine. Because of sin, men will be inclined to rule over women with sinful, selfish hearts. Verse 17, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. All right, that's a problem because she was saying something that was contradictory to what God had said. Also, it is, it's a rebellion against the order. So once again, we see the order being a problem. Now, remember, we said before that he was with her through that whole ordeal. But now he was the leader. He was, he was to be leading spiritually. He was to be physically protecting her. And he is silent. He's passive. During the conversation, he, he should have said to the serpent, you know, excuse me, serpent, remember me? I'm the one that named you. I'm in charge here. I'm in charge of keeping harmony in this place. And what you have said, it was inappropriate about God. What you've said to my wife is inappropriate. You need to just get out of here. Okay? But he doesn't do any of that. He is silent. He is passive. What... Um, of the things that we see is we generally find men falling into one of two categories. You either have men because of sin taking on a very passive and silent place, usually with the dominating and a domineering woman, or you have the flip side where you have men that become abusive and oppressive of women. Neither category is right. Number 10, because of sin... The positive drive of men is twisted into a negative tendency to abuse the woman or to abdicate his responsibility toward her. So you have that passivity and the abusive. All right, what would be the consequence of his sin? We're gonna look at the end of verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread all right first off we want to notice that the ground is cursed number 11 because of sin the ground is cursed all right next we see just as the woman would toil and experience pain in her main function so the man toil so the man would toil and suffer pain in his main functions. And so our next point, number 12, because of sin, the man's inherent strength and his primary function and capabilities would be damaged. His inherent strength and his primary function and capabilities would be damaged. He was to be the provider and the protector. He was to be the leader, and now doing all of that is going to be a struggle. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. He was, now he's going to have to struggle to provide for his family. Now he's going to have weeds. Now he's going to have famines and floods. Now he's going to have employees that steal from him, and files get lost, and equipment break. Now he's going to sweat. Now he's going to have back aches. Now he's going to have injuries. All of these become uh, a part of things. Number 13. Because of sin, the man would experience pain and work in providing. Experience pain in work and providing. He says, to Verse 19 says till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return he's going to struggle to stay alive and then he's going to die and this is exactly what God said would happen if they ate from the tree all right now we go over all these things and they're depressing it's hard these are hard things to read certainly when you read it you realize that hashtags and petitions are not going to fix this but thankfully, the story does not end here. Otherwise, it would be very hopeless. Uh, We need to go back to look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. If you did the homework, it described this as the proto-evangelium. That's the first mention of the Savior. Before God lays out the judgments to the man, he starts by giving them hope for the defeat of sin. He starts by giving them a glimpse of the gospel. Now, every labor pain, every difficult period, every hormonal issue, every argument that you have with your husband, every job loss, every flood, every famine, all of it, all of it screams out fallen, fallen, fallen. The world is fallen. We are fallen. We are a fallen people that are incapable of living up to the standards of our original purpose and design. We are incapable of fixing ourselves. We are incapable of fixing the mess that we've made. Everything shouts out, we need a savior. We need a savior. We need the sin. We need the sin that's inside us to be defeated and conquered. My sister uh, recently had a little pimple on the side of her face that would bleed. And it, would, it just wouldn't heal. And so this, this went on for several, several weeks and so she finally went to the doctor to have the doctor look at it, and the doctor told her it was cancerous. So they cut it out. While she was there, they said, let's give you a good look over. They checked her out, found another spot on her arm, cut that out. Now she's good. But you see, that, that little pimple on the side of her face that was bleeding and wouldn't heal, that was sending her a message. It was sending her a message. This, this isn't right. This needs attention. Get help. You need a doctor. It's very similar to, to, the, to the consequences and the problems of sin that we see or that we experience. It's sending a same message. This isn't right. Something's wrong. This needs attention. Get help. We need a savior. Our last point is the consequences and judgments point us to our need for the gospel? We could also put Christ in there. And ultimately, to display the fullness of the glory of God. How do we apply the gospel to our fallen womanhood? That's where we go from here. Now that we understand how we got into this mess, now that we understand what we were created to do and be, and then how we got in the mess that we're in, and then our next step will be, how do we, how do we redeem? How is womanhood redeemed? How do we apply the gospel to our womanhood? Um, we have that to look forward to. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we praise you. We praise you for your word. We praise you that it is powerful and living, and I pray that you will draw us to it. I pray that you will point out areas in our lives that are not pleasing to you, that are not holy. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be obedient women. I pray that you'll begin to show us how we are to apply the gospel to our womanhood so that we can be bright lights in this community and bring honor and glory to your name. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.